So we'll begin reading then from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Although I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we thank the Lord for his word. Well, I wonder how seriously do you take the task of maturing as a Christian? If you're a believer here tonight, how much do you think about and how much effort goes into maturing and growing in your faith? Is it something of great urgency to you? Is it something perhaps you think about from time to time, or perhaps it's something that you you don't think about that much, really? For many, I I think perhaps it's it's a hard battle, and you keep going, but you find it frustrating at times. For others, perhaps you, well, you know it matters in theory. You know it's important, but but actually you struggle to take it seriously. You know, I'm, I'm saved after all. Does it really matter? Well, if you've been here for the last two weeks, you'll have um, seen that Paul in this letter is very concerned that we should and must progress as Christians. And today's passage, I think, helps to really drive that home. So, here's one question that's key to our passage today. Does it matter if we grow? But there's a second one as well. Does it matter how we grow? How do we keep on going? How do we continue in growing in maturity, and, and, and does the method actually even matter? In, in the church in Colossae, it seems that some teachers had come along and they were offering some convincing-sounding answers to this question of how you carry on in the faith. They were insisting on ritualistic rules and regulations, something perhaps like the, the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament designed for uh, Israel. And some people will come along today and tell us that 
we need lots and lots of extra rules to make us holy. It seems at the same time that these Christians were being offered some kind of higher knowledge or experience. And people are going to come and they're going to offer us that too. They'll say, come to our church, join our movement. It's great you've got the Bible, that's, that's good, but we've got something more and something better, a more wonderful experience of God that will take you further on and make your life complete. In the light of this then, how does Paul respond? What has he got to say to us today through this passage? Well, simply, he sticks to the gospel And he gets personal here. He shows us what was important in his ministry. He shows us what really matters to him as an apostle and what really matters to the Lord. So when we come to our passage and we we come to verse 24 and we start at the beginning, we actually find ourselves straight away face to face with a pretty startling statement. Now I rejoice, says Paul, in my sufferings for your sake. Now on its own, that's pretty startling. We don't rejoice in sufferings, do we? They're things to be endured, not to be enjoyed. How can he rejoice in suffering? But there's more. Read on. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? Does it mean that Christ's sufferings were somehow inadequate to deal with our sin? Is Paul claiming here that he's completing Christ's sacrifice, his atoning work? Well, we know that he can't mean that. It's clear from what we've already read that Jesus Christ has completely achieved for his people reconciliation to God. It's clear from Scripture that Christ did all that was necessary, that when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, everything was done. So that's not what he means. So what is this statement about? And how does it connect to this great theme of growing in Christ? Where where is Paul taking us here? What What is his argument well, to unfold this passage today, I've got uh, three headings, and they're on the back of the notice sheet if you want to, to follow them, just the three of them simply set out there. And here's the first, suffering to proclaim Christ, suffering to proclaim Christ. And this is what Paul is doing. So what does Paul mean? He says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The key to understanding this, actually, is to read it, as is so often the case, in its context, to read it as part of this passage, a part of this book. Let's read on a little bit. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I, Paul, became uh, became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What is it that he's doing for the sake of the church? He's making the word of God fully known. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in all its fullness. And because he does that, he suffers. Indeed, even as he writes these words, he's sitting in prison, in chains, for preaching Jesus. That's the context. Read on a little bit further, in the end of verse 25. To make the word of God fully known, 
the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. He's taking the message of Jesus Christ to those who have not heard it. And just as his Lord and Master, Jesus, suffered and was beaten and crucified for the message he preached about himself to the people of Judea and Galilee, even so, Paul suffers as he preaches the message about Jesus across the world. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute his followers too. Proclaiming Jesus to people who do not know him in a world that is ignorant of the good news results in suffering. So what is lacking then in the sufferings of Christ is the suffering necessary to preach Christ to every tribe and tongue and nation because Jesus, whilst he was on here on earth, did not do that. But as the gospel is taken out, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, taking the gospel out for the very first time to these people, suffers and so fills up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And I think we need to pause and say here, and this, I think, is not the central aim of the passage, but it's important that we can't help but see that we are involved in this too. We're not apostles. Most of us are not ministers or preachers or or missionaries, but we all seek, don't we, to take the good news of Jesus to those who don't know it. We're all working for the sake of the church if we're believers serving faithfully here. We all desire to see our friends and our families and our colleagues and others brought in and added to the body of Christ. And as we do so, we will face opposition and discouragement and cause to compromise and pressure to give up. It's tough, but it's worth it. It's worth it. For Paul, it was worth being imprisoned for. It was worth being beaten for. It was worth being stoned and left for dead for. Worth being executed for. That was the reality for Paul. But how can he rejoice in his suffering? How can anyone rejoice in suffering? It's because of the glory and of the wonder of the message that he is preaching. So what is Paul doing here? What is the central argument of this passage? What's the main thrust that we're looking at here? I think it's this. If we, as believers, are going to continue in the faith, and if we're going to grow and we're going to mature, if we're not going to be distracted by false teaching and taken down dangerous paths, we need to truly grasp the wonder and the glory of this message. That's what Paul wants for his readers. That's what the Lord wants for us. That's what we need to see. And what is Paul pointing us to here specifically about this message that is so glorious? Well, he starts by showing us that it's glorious because it was hidden and now revealed. Verse 26, we see him talking about the mystery that was hidden for for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. We live in a privileged age. You see, before Jesus came, the true knowledge of God was only present amongst the nation of Israel. And anyone who wanted to know the true God had to come and join with them. And even the knowledge they had was limited and shadowy. 
They had pictures. They had sacrifices. They had ceremonies and feast days. They had prophecies pointing forward to the Messiah who was to come. They had saints who gave us pictures, types of Jesus. But much about what was to come and who the Messiah was and exactly what he was going to do, although they saw it in shadow and in picture and in type, was obscured and hidden. It's a little bit like, um, I don't know, if you've climbed any mountains recently. It's been a while, I confess, since I have, but you climb up to the top of a mountain in the morning and you get up there and it's kind of hazy and misty and there's cloud around and you get to the top and you were hoping for this view and, and you look out and, and actually what you see is a sort of grey sort of mist and you can see, if you look carefully over there, here's an outline of another mountain and somewhere down there where there's some more mountains and I think probably down there there's a long drop. That's what I'm led to believe. I've been climbing for a long time. You know it's out there. You know the outline of where things are, but you don't see them clearly. And to some extent, that's what it was like under the Old Covenant. They saw the outlines of the truths. They saw much that was rich and wonderful, but the full glory was hidden. And so you climb your mountain, and suddenly, as if instantly, the cloud parts. The mist clears, the sun comes out, and you look out in awe as you see the grandeur of the scene in front of you. Here are the glorious mountains all around you. Look down, way down, and see the plains, and see the rivers, and the locks, and the sea out that way. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it wonderful? And that is what we have as New Testament believers when the mystery that was hidden for the ages has been revealed. Jesus has come. The shadows are gone. The ceremonies and sacrifices aren't necessary. We look out and we see fully the wonder and the grandeur and the glory of the message of the gospel. We see what all of history has been working forward to. But just what is it that we see? What is this glorious view that that, that we see here? What What does Paul point us to? Look at verse 27. And read this carefully because... It really is worth looking on in wonder. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we see. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We see Jesus. And this is not a distant Jesus. This is not a Jesus who bought our forgiveness and then left us alone. But he's a Jesus who is close. He's the ascended, glorified Son of God. He is the one who is the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things in whom all the fullness of God dwells. And he is living in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you. If you're a believer, that's the wonder and the glory of what you have. That's just what you're called to stand back and be amazed and astounded again at here. It's glorious, isn't it? We could talk about it all day. We could say so much because the implications are so important and so vast. It means many things, but it at least means this, that all of our identity is tied up with Christ. All of the blessings that we have are in him and through him. Past blessings, our salvation, our sin forgiven, are being brought from death to life, from darkness to light. That's in and through Christ, and because we're joined to him, 
the relationship we have with the Father now, the, the, the freedom from guilt that we have now, it's all through Christ in you. And future blessings, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of glory, because we're united to him, because he lives in us, our future is certain and secure. Is glorious. We'll stand before him face to face one day with joy in our hearts. We will live eternally with him and for him, seeing him with our eyes and sensing him with our senses, and, and, and we'll live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's not an uncertain hope. It's certain. We're confident in it. Why? Because he lives in us now, pointing us forward to that day. It's a glorious message, isn't it? It's a glorious gospel. It's a glorious truth that Paul was preaching. No wonder he could rejoice, even as he suffered for proclaiming it. And it's glorious what we have. Are you finding it hard right now to progress as a Christian? Are you battling to grow? Come and see again the wonder of belonging to Jesus. Are you lacking motivation to grow? Paul calls you back to the extraordinary truth of Christ Jesus living in you. Are you desiring to grow but uncertain about how you get there? Come back to the gospel, the mystery that is Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Paul suffers to proclaim Christ. Paul suffers to proclaim Christ, but here's the second. Paul suffers to proclaim Christ in order to present you mature in Christ. Paul suffers to proclaim Christ in order to present you mature in Christ. Because we need to ask again, how did all of this connect to Christian maturity? Is that really what Paul's driving at here? It's great news that I'm saved by Jesus. It's great that I have Christ living in me. It's great that I've got all of this cl the clarity of the view of the gospel. But how do I move on now? Don't I need something else? Don't I need some other experience, some other means, some other method? But hold on, because we haven't fully finished understanding Paul's struggle yet, because he comes back to it um, in verse 28 and 29. So look with me at verse 28. Him we proclaim, says Paul, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So what's Paul's aim here? To preach Christ, yes, in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the purpose of his struggle, to bring everyone who hears the gospel to maturity. Now, it's always exciting, isn't it, when someone makes a profession of faith. When someone comes along to a Christianity Explored course or a Life Explored course and understands the truth and becomes a believer, that's, that's thrilling. Or, or when someone hears that the gospel at a carol service and in time believes the truth and, is, and, and, and comes, to, comes to, to faith and is so excited that they go out and they tell everyone and they talk about this wonderful new thing that they've found. And, you know, at Chalmers, we've been blessed to see people saved in recent times, young people, 
older people, much older people, people from Christian backgrounds with good Christian families and people without that background. And we've seen people from the UK and those from the other side of the world. And we rejoice in every single one. It's great. And yet, Paul doesn't just look for professions of faith. We don't just look for professions of faith. The desire is to see everyone mature and blameless, growing until they stand perfect before him, before Christ at the last day. His urgent concern is not just to see people start, but to see them finish. And so we return to our original question. Is growth as a Christian a serious concern, a priority for you? Is it something you think about every day? Is progressing towards maturity something you take seriously? We see from the Scriptures that it is of utmost importance. Paul suffered and struggled and battled, not just to create converts who could then say, I'm all right now, but to bring those converts through to maturity in Christ. But how do we get there? How do we get there? Perhaps we need those rules, lots of rules and regulations that that tell us what to eat and drink, what to wear and what not to wear, where we go and where we don't go, when we should pray, how long we should pray for, what kind of words we should use, and, and, and all those kind of things. Perhaps that's what we need. We need kind of hemming in so we don't mess up. Or maybe we need a mystical experience Maybe we need to go to a different kind of church, one where they don't spend so much time talking about the Bible, but we get to experience God directly in in some kind of mystical way through the music or through hearing voices or through miracles or other kinds of experiences. Maybe that's what we really need. And, And certainly people will call us to that because it seems so powerful and so impressive and so effective. What does Paul say to believers who are being enticed by things of that sort. Very simply, once again, he carries on pointing them to Jesus. Remember that the heart of the message he's preaching here is Jesus. Jesus who lives in you and points you to glory. He keeps on pointing them to the mystery that's been revealed, which is Jesus. Verse 2, to reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what he desires for us, for you. It's very easy, I think, at times for us to become distracted by all sorts of things as believers, to start seeing perhaps the everyday Christian life as a bit dull and mundane and difficult, that we need something different, that we need something more, and perhaps it just leaves us going through the motions a little. But the wonder is, that all we need to grow, all that we need to become mature, is found in Jesus Christ. And the core to grow at its heart is the core to know Christ more. And we might sometimes turn that into a chore, but it's not. Because Christ is beautiful and glorious and astonishingly wonderful. Everything we need is found in this Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us. In him, says Paul, are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do we want to progress? We go 
to Jesus because all of the wisdom and knowledge that we need are in him. We go to his word, which tells us about him from cover to cover. And there we find treasure. It's as though we go looking for precious jewels. And as we come to the word, we find them as we see Jesus at the beginning and the middle and the end of the word. And as we read it again and again, there are more jewels and more riches and more treasures. And as we learn these things and we take them in so they're not just head knowledge but heart knowledge, oh, Christ is seen as ever more precious and valuable. We find in the Bible Christ's character, who he is. We find his actions, all that he's done for us, all that he is doing for us, all he will do for us. We find in the scripture what he desires of us, how we are to live, to be Christ-like. And we find the power to live that way through the very same one who lives in us. It's glorious. I'm not saying that it's not tough at times. It is tough, but it's glorious. To go looking for wisdom and knowledge elsewhere is like, I guess, a, being a, a billionaire, being one of the few wealthy elite in this world, and yet you leave your massive mansion, and you leave your money, and you leave your car, and you leave your fine clothes, and you go out and sit on the street in the city center, and you beg, and it's cold, and you freeze, and no one stops, and you starve, but somehow you think that's better. That's what it's like to go after these other things that don't lead us on. That's what it's like to leave Christ to the sidelines and look some other way. That's what it's like to, to stop continuing in the faith. We're billionaires and more. We have all the riches you could ever imagine and more. And the more you dig and the more you find, the more wonderful they are. And it's not like earthly riches which just make us unsatisfied and we always need more and more. With Christ, we're perfectly satisfied and we keep finding more and more. It's glorious. So how are you doing? Where are you looking for strength to grow? How do you think about the prospect of Christian growth? Are you kind of hankering after something more exciting or something more prescriptive or something different, something else? Or are you thrilled at the prospect of knowing more and more of Jesus and filling your mind and your heart with him and his character and his commands? That's the glory of growth in Christ. And we don't do it alone either. In verse 2, Paul's writing that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding. We're churches. We're a church. We encourage one another. And we have a duty and a privilege to point one another to Jesus, to encourage one another in Jesus, to help one another, to see more of him when we're struggling. Friends, that's a glorious responsibility. Let's ensure that we don't get distracted by the devil's plans and schemes to make us fall out, to make us self-satisfied, to make us separate ourselves off. Let's remember that if we build one another up in Christ, we will be strong. So that's the second thing. Firstly, we said suffering to proclaim Christ in order to present you mature in Christ. That's the second thing. And thirdly, and finally, therefore, continue 
in Christ. Therefore, continue in Christ. And we're coming to verses 6 and 7. And actually, verses 6 and 7 are probably the key verses in this book. If we were to take away one piece of instruction, one piece of application, one idea from the book of Colossians, it would be these two verses. This is what Paul wants us to do. So let's read them again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the response that we're being called to. You see, if it's essential for us as Christians to grow into maturity, and it is, and if the pathway to maturity is progression in knowing Christ in our minds and hearts and seeing the outworking of that, and it is, then it follows that to grow, we need to stick with Jesus, continue with Jesus and the truth about him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. So let's just spend the last few minutes walking through these verses. They're quite rich, there's quite a lot here, so let's just see very simply what we have. The first thing is we continue in Christ in the same way that we received him. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. We need to ask a question here, what does receiving Christ mean? I guess to most of our minds, to most of our sort of modern evangelical minds, that sounds like the same as accepting Jesus as Savior or asking Jesus into our hearts or something like that. In other words, the moment of faith. But actually, the way that this word received is always used in the New Testament means something different. It means something more like this, to receive a body of truth, to accept a tradition or a teaching. And we have received a body of truth, the truths of the gospel, the truths about Christ, the basics of the Christian faith. We've trusted in a Christ who is both God who and became man for us, who lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death, taking our punishment, who rose from the dead and now reigns at the right hand of God and who will one day return to judge the living and dead and calls us to be his people and serve in his church. And of course we could say more. But the core truths of the gospel, the, the, the message of Jesus Christ, that's what we've received. The teachings of scripture. And they've been passed down by the church through the ages and preserved by the Spirit. And we have them in our hands. So we are not to depart from the truths that we have learned about Christ. Rather we are to walk in them. The truths of the gospel. So Paul says, do not depart from that truth. Continue living, continue walking in the light of the gospel of grace. Allow the truth of the gospel to shape your whole way of thinking. Allow it to shape your whole attitude and let it drive your lifestyle, let it drive your obedience. He says we received Christ the Lord. Notice that, Christ the Lord. So we, we are to remember that he's our king and we are to remember that we must obey his commands. But that, that obedience flows from the truth of the gospel and of course is made power made possible by his power as he lives in us by his spirit we'll see as we go further into the letter in future weeks more about what that looks like practically as we get rid of our old ways and we take on new ones 
So that's the first thing. We continue in Christ in the same way we received him. And then the second thing is rooted. Uh, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up. So this is um, making us think of a plant or a tree. We have roots. We have been planted. If we're Christians, we've been planted in Christ. And like a tree, our roots are essential. And our roots must be planted in the right place. If you plant a tree in the wrong soil without sufficient water, it's not going to grow. And we must remain in Christ. Think perhaps of Psalm 1 and the tree that's planted by the rivers of water that pulls up the, uh, the, the nutrients and the water from, from the ground below and it grows into a great tree because the, the, the sustenance that it draws from Christ, the word of God. And, and it's, it's, that's just how it is here. We have our roots deep down and we draw all of our strength from Jesus Christ. We don't draw them from, any, from anywhere else because nothing else is any good for us. We remain planted in Jesus. So that's rooted. Secondly, being built up. Being built up. Rooted and built up in him. Buildings that are going to last have a firm foundation. And we are built on the firm foundation of Christ. And we continue being built up. This is, um, this is an ongoing action here. We continue being built up. What are we being built into? Well, we're not being built into some flimsy tent or shelter that might blow away. If you don't build your life in and on Christ, that's what you are. Um, but you're being built into something solid. I live in the top floor of one of these big um, Edinburgh tenement buildings, and um, it feels very solid. Now, I have to confess, when a big truck drives down the road, the whole building shakes. But I don't worry in the least that it's all going to fall over because I know it's been there for a good 150-odd years, and it's solid and secure. We're that kind of building. We don't fall over because we're built up in Christ, and he keeps on building us up, both individually and as a church. So let's keep building and keep resting on Christ. Built up. Fourthly, established in the faith, just as you were taught. This is all about truth. This is about knowledge. We start the Christian life, don't we, with a a basic knowledge of Jesus and his offer of forgiveness for us and our need for repentance and, and the new life that we're given. But we don't stay with the basics. I started my training as an accountant quite a few years ago. And we started with big sheets of paper and we drew these little uh, T accounts, you call them, and you put some numbers on either side and hopefully they add up appropriately and you, you use it to learn the basics of double entry bookkeeping. But however many years later, thankfully I'm not still doing that. But I needed that as a start point, but I moved on. And I became more useful and I became more experienced and I understood it more and I enjoyed it more. We desire to become more and more established, grounded in the truth about Jesus, about the message of God's word. What's that message? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we listen to the word preached and we read it, we expand our knowledge and grow in wonder at the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not all called to be intellectuals. So much of God's word is plain and clear. But we must be growing. We must become ever more established in our understanding of the truth about Jesus. 
So we continue in Christ in the way we received him. We're rooted, we're being built up, we're established in the faith, and ever more so. And lastly, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing in thanksgiving. Here's the, here's the glass and the wine, if you like, is being poured in and it gets to the top, and, but the pouring doesn't stop and the glass overflows. That's how we will be and that's how we should be if we continue in Christ. It's undoubtedly true, and I guess many of us here tonight will feel this, that carrying on as a Christian, growing as a Christian, can be and often is tough. There are discouragements. There are temptations that we struggle to beat. There are distractions. There are life circumstances that make things hard and painful. We all know that, don't we? But even in the midst of that, a life dependent on Christ, walking in him, rooted and built up in him, a life searching to know the treasures and the wisdom hidden in Christ more and more, is a life that even in sad times still overflows with thankfulness. Thankfulness for the wonder of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thankful because this was revealed to us and we see it clearly where many others have not. Thankful, wondering because he is living in us. Thankful that he is working in us to make us mature. Thankful for the certain hope of glory that we have. Oh, how blessed we are. How blessed we are even when things are as tough as we could possibly imagine them to be, and even when we struggle to keep going as much as we could imagine we ever could struggle, even when we feel our sin just can't be beaten, we remember that Christ is in us, at work in us, and has saved us, and is taking us on to maturity. And we rejoice in thankfulness to him for all that he's done. So Paul's great desire then is that we should grow and increasingly grow to full maturity in Christ. He was willing to suffer for the sake of that, to present us mature, ultimately at the last day. And we get there through the same truths, the same Christ that saved us. We never depart from Christ. We never move on from Christ. We're united to him. He lives in us. He is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can't move away from remembering that. He's the beginning of our faith. He's the the middle of our faith. And he's the end of our faith. He's the entrance into faith. He is the goal of our faith. And he is the pathway to getting there and the strength that takes us along that path. Will you... Follow that path. Friends, if you've never entered on it, if you've never come to trust in Jesus, perhaps because it seems too hard, or perhaps because it's never made sense to you before, come now and see the wonder of the gospel. See the wonder of sins forgiven. See the wonder of the almighty Son of God, the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, living in you dwelling in you, mysteriously but powerfully. No walking through life with him, no growing in him, no being built up in him. Experience what that joy and thanksgiving is. And Christians, keep coming back to him. If you've been distracted, come back to Christ. Come back to the heart of the gospel. Come back to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in him. 
Keep progressing. Keep on going. And as you do so, allow your hearts to overflow with thanksgiving for all that you have and all that you are and all that you will be in Christ. Amen.